So, this morning we are here celebrating this amazing news that Jesus is risen. But I wanted to say this, I was thinking about it this last week, actually for the last couple weeks, that this story, though it is packed with theology and things to explore and study, before it was theology, before this story was religion, it was an experience. It was a lived experience. It was something that someone went through with an event. And so I thought, rather than dive right into the text, I thought I would just tell it to you. Uh, Maybe like one of those first people heard it um, over 2,000 years ago. So listen to it again. It was the first day of the week, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark. Mary, the Magdalene, she went to the tomb. She saw the stone had been rolled away from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. She said, they have taken our Lord and I don't know where they've put him. So Peter and the other disciple, they set out for the tomb. Both of them were running. The other disciple, he moved ahead or he outran Peter and he arrived there. He reached the tomb first. He bent down and looked inside and saw the strips of linen lying there. But he didn't go in. Simon Peter, who was behind him, he arrived. And he went right into the tomb. (laughs) He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the grave cloth that was wrapped around Jesus' head. This cloth, this grave cloth, was folded by itself, separate from the other linens. Finally, the other disciple, he also went inside. He saw and believed. But he still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise again from the dead. So the disciples returned to their homes, but Mary, she stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, She bent over and looked inside. And she saw two angels dressed in white sitting where Jesus' body had been. One at the head and one at the foot. They said to her, Dear woman, why are you crying? And she said, They have taken my Lord and I don't know where they have put him. And as she said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus. And he said to her, Dear woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Thinking that Jesus was a gardener, she said, Sir, if you have taken him somewhere, tell me where he is and I will go get him. And Jesus said, Mary. To which she cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means my teacher. And then Jesus said to her, you're going to have to let go of me. I have not yet returned to my father. But go to my disciples or go to my brothers instead and tell them that I'm going to my father and your father, to my God and your God. And so Mary did. She brought the news to the disciples. She said, I have seen the Lord. And she told them all these things that Jesus said to her. Now, as I've been thinking about this passage, this event over this last week. been studying and reflecting and realizing that we are all arriving here at this moment coming from different places. I am here this morning because I have been a follower of Jesus for over a decade, almost two decades now. 
and he has changed my life. This story it makes me rejoice. It makes me celebrate. I feel like I'm actually shaking. I'm so excited about this morning. But I'm also wondering too, is this story only for people who follow Jesus? Or does it have meaning for people who maybe have questions? Maybe people who have more questions than answers. For people who maybe are not sure what they believe. I wonder if maybe some of you have questions like this. I know many of you, you come here most Sundays. I know many of you are here celebrating the fact that Jesus is risen. You already believe. Some of you might be here because you're curious. You're wondering about this. You feel drawn because you're not sure what you know or what you think about Jesus yet. Some of you might be here this morning because you've come with somebody else and maybe you feel a little skeptical. That's all right. As you'll see in a moment, you're in good company. Let me show you what I mean, okay? So when you think about this story, you realize that actually nobody believed that Jesus would rise again. Not his disciples, not anybody. Everybody thought that when Jesus died, the movement died with him. This new grassroots movement of faith. Everybody thought that when Jesus died, so did the movement. It's interesting because Mary is the only one who shows up at the tomb. She's drawn here. I'm not sure why exactly. Scripture doesn't tell us why she came. What she was, was she expecting to see Jesus risen? Or she, was she expecting to still see him dead, but she just missed him so much, mourning and wanting to be near his grave? We're not sure. Maybe some of you can relate to that. You, hear, you are here this morning drawn by something. Maybe not even sure what it is, but you are here. I think God honors that. And it's interesting because Mary finds this empty tomb. But she does not assume that Jesus is risen. Actually, she assumes the opposite. She assumes that Jesus is still dead and that people had stolen his body. And she's wondering where they've taken it. When she came there in the beginning, I wonder if she had some flicker of hope. Or maybe if she saw the, the, the door rolled away, the giant stone that would have sealed the tomb, if she saw that rolled away and maybe thought, maybe it's true. But if Scripture is any indication, um, it seemed like she didn't really expect the resurrection. If you want to, open up your Bibles to John chapter 20. Or also, too, it's in this uh, sermon guide here. If you just want to open this, the text is on the inside of this as well. So take a look at this. So this shows you here that um, if you look at this particular part right here, right in the first paragraph, verse 2, she comes to the disciples and she says, they have taken the Lord out of the tomb and we don't know where they have put him. Mary's thinking that they have, someone's taken the Lord, someone's stolen him. That's her assumption. That's what she's convinced has happened. She doesn't think that he is risen. That doesn't even enter the equation, I don't think. But it's interesting because Mary has this special hope. Even though she doesn't... Um, doesn't think that Jesus is risen, she still has this hope. She's here at the tomb, even though I don't think she really expects anything to happen. She's here. She shows up, knowing that in her mind, 
The tomb is probably sealed and Jesus is probably still dead and yet she shows up. One of the, the New Testament scholars I was reading this week talked about it. He called it, his name is Dale Bruner. He called it Magdalene faith. Faith like Mary Magdalene. This faith that shows up even though it's pretty sure that there's nothing special here. This faith that still comes expecting the worst and yet still shows up. I wonder if maybe some of you are here this morning. <laughs> Pretty sure that nothing special is going to happen, but you're still here. I think God honors that kind of faith. Even though you're not sure what you think about Jesus or the whole thing about resurrection, you are still here. I think God honors that. I think God loves that and loves to bless you in that. But it's interesting because Mary is here, but she's the only one. None of the other disciples even come. Even though Jesus told them numerous times that he was going to rise again from the dead, and they still expect him to die and stay dead. They don't expect him to rise again. They don't show up at the, at the tomb. They're still hiding, still afraid. This week I realized that Everybody experiences Jesus' resurrection in different ways. And actually, the three people who show up at the tomb, they all have a different response to Jesus' resurrection. The first to believe was John. <clears throat> He's the one called the disciple. Uh, the other disciple here in this passage, it says, Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went, and saw, went inside. He saw and believed. That's the part I wanted to underline for us this morning, is that he saw and believed. He believed by experience. He wasn't convinced. It wasn't a long um, argument or a long speech about why he should believe and why he should um, believe these things that Jesus has actually risen. He just actually, he experienced it in the moment. He was there. He saw the strips of linen and the cloth that was around Jesus' head. He saw them lying there and he believed. He saw the empty tomb and he was convinced. I think many of you are like John. <clears throat> I've heard your stories. Um, I was thinking of some of you have talked about how God has healed you. And because he healed you, set you free from anxiety or depression or even disease in your body, you thought, you know what? Jesus did this. That's good enough for me. I'm following him. Some of you have actually believed because of your experience more over time. You began following Jesus and the, more, the closer you got to him or the longer you followed him, the better life got for you. Not easier, but better. And has convinced you more and more. I can speak from my own experience. That, oh, 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 Scotty, what did I say? <laughs> I too am like John. My own faith is an experience. I began believing in Jesus not because someone sat from across from a table for me and explained to me and laid it out rationally and convinced me. I started following Jesus when pretty much everything else in my life had fallen through and I realized that he was the only one who was going to still be there. I can still remember the moment. I can still see it. I was in this house um, uh, that still didn't even have furniture in it, the light coming through one of the windows. And the bottom had fallen out in my life, and I just realized that Jesus was the only one who was always going to be there. 
And it was funny because it's like something like, it was more like I remembered something that I'd always known. And I was there by myself, no one convincing me, no one encouraging me, cajoling me, none of that. Just God and realization. We have this John type faith where we see or we have this experience and we believe. Now, don't get me wrong, I've been following Jesus for a while. I have a master's degree in, in divinity and theology. I've studied for years. And the more I study, the more convinced I am. The more I see that this faith isn't just some experience I had, it actually makes sense. But it began with an experience, it began with an event. And so I know that many of us are here, we are like John. We believe because we have experienced God in some way firsthand, which is pretty powerful. Because no matter the argument or how well it's shaped or, or convincing it is, we can still believe because we have had this experience with God. Okay, so that was John. The next one to believe was Mary. Oh, sorry. Uh, the next one to believe was Mary. Um, she didn't actually see Jesus. Actually, sorry, she had to actually see Jesus before she believed. It's interesting because despite the empty tomb, despite seeing two angels and grave clothes uh, piled on the inside of the tomb, even seeing Jesus, she still didn't quite believe. I mean, think about this. She is the first one there. She sees an empty tomb. She comes running back to the disciples. Someone has stolen our Lord. The grave is empty. Someone obviously must have stolen him. That's her first thought. Then she gets there and it talks about how she looks inside. She sees the, the linens folded there. And for Mary, now this is interesting. For Mary, it makes more sense that robbers or grave robbers came in the middle of the night, took Jesus' corpse, unwrapped it from the burial linens, took these things off, folded them off, set them in the, in, the, in the tomb, and then tried to escape with his naked corpse. That makes more sense to Mary than the linens lying in the tomb. And Jesus is risen. So already she's thinking like, you know, he's, someone must have stolen him. Then she also sees two angels in the tomb, which is pretty convincing for me. <laughs> But still, she says, they've taken my Lord. I don't know where they've put him. And then after that, she turns around and she talks to Jesus himself. Now, I think it would be wise to cut Mary a bit of slack here because she is obviously really troubled by the fact that Jesus is dead. But she turns to Jesus and she says to Jesus, sir, if you've taken him somewhere, tell me where you've put him so I can go get him. And I'm wondering, like, how hard was it for Jesus not to chuckle just a little bit? When he says, Mary, it's me. <laughs> I'm right here. And it's on that moment that she begins believing, that she sees who Jesus really is, that he is risen, and she believes completely. It's funny, because she calls him uh, the gardener. Look here. She thought Jesus was a gardener, <laughs> seeing him. I think she so expected him to stay dead because that's what normally happens, right? When people die, they don't rise again. Because that's our experience. So she expected him to be dead and stay dead. She was so convinced of it, so used to that, that it was hard for her to see it any differently. 
So John has faith. He sees and experiences has faith. Mary, she sees Jesus and begins to believe. The third person who was there at the tomb was Peter. And honestly, for me, it's surprising that Peter is even there. For those of you who don't remember, the night that Jesus was arrested, Peter was there with him when he was in the temple courts and they were trying him or they were speaking or like interrogating him. Peter was there. And the people around him say, hey, aren't you with Jesus? And Peter said, no, no, I'm not. I don't know the man. And then a little while later, while he's warming himself around the fire, uh, one of the women there, she says, I'm pretty sure you're with Jesus. He says, no, I don't even know the guy. Then one more time, then some of the other guys said, no, I recognize your accent. You're from Galilee too. He says, I do not know him. And then this rooster crows, which is funny because the night before Jesus was, or sorry, Peter was, was boasting a bit, overconfident, talking to Jesus, saying, I will die for you, Jesus. Jesus had just told him that someone was going to betray him. And Peter says, no, not me, never. Jesus, I would die for you. And Jesus looks at him and says, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And Peter did. Yet despite his betrayal, he shows up. Peter shows up at the tomb. I was thinking about it. Peter is like the patron saint of people who think they've blown their last chance. Peter is like the patron saint of people who think, you know what? I'm too far gone. I'm too far gone for God. I'm too far gone for grace. Peter shows us that nobody's too far gone. None of us are too far gone. He shows up at the tomb. In fact, he's right there with John. The other disciple, most Christian theologian stuff think that that other disciple was probably John, the disciple John. John was the younger, one of the youngest of the disciples. Peter, one of the older. And so it's, I can understand why he, was, uh, why he wasn't the first one there. I can relate to that as you get older. But it's interesting because he's also more bold. John, the first one to the tomb, he stops and waits and looks inside. He's not going in, which is understandable for Jewish people. Jewish people have a, have a lot of different rules and laws of religion uh, revolves around a lot uh, revolves a lot around cleanliness and and sacrificial or ceremonial cleanliness and touching dead bodies or being in tombs makes you unclean and so it's no surprise that John is a bit hesitant to go into the tomb because it would make him unclean and yet Peter Peter just goes right in he has this this boldness just just walks right in and I wonder too if maybe it's partly Peter's character, but also right now in this moment, his hope of finding Jesus risen, if that overrides any fear he might have of religious cleanliness or religious laws around going into tombs. He's so hopeful that Jesus is alive that he just goes in. The text doesn't tell us how Peter, what Peter thinks about or how he responds. It doesn't say. I was looking for it uh, this week. The closest or the most information we get is from Luke's gospel. Luke says that Peter left seeing the strips of linen and the empty tomb. He left marveling, which um, I, I think marveling, like probably, believe, probably believing, but it doesn't say. 
And so I'm thinking, you know, that there's these three people all showing up at the tomb. John believes immediately or walks in and it just makes sense to him. Mary, she has to have Jesus actually speak to her before she can move past her expectation that he's dead and dead forever. And Peter, Jesus' right-hand man, the guy who had the furthest to come, the guy who had the furthest to come in the sense that he had already denied Jesus, he leaves and he walks away and we're not certain what he thinks. I suspect he's probably pretty open to belief, but we don't know. I was thinking about it this week that maybe some of you might feel like Peter's your guy. (laughs) That you hear this morning and you still have more questions than answers. I want to encourage you. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about faith and about what it means to follow Jesus. Next week, we're going to read a little bit further in John's Gospel where you see Jesus meets with his disciples later on that Sunday night. He meets with his disciples and talks with them. But one of the disciples is missing, uh, Thomas, from which we get the name Doubting Thomas because he said, I won't believe until I'm able to put my finger in the holes in his hands or the hole in his side. And then the next week, Jesus shows up to him. And we watch how God, how Jesus, takes Thomas and his doubt and turns him and gives him the words, turns his doubt into one of the most profound statements in the whole New Testament about Jesus. So come next week and check that out. Thing is, there's all these different responses. And I realize that even in our room, even here this morning, there are different responses. Some of us are convinced. (laughs) Some of us are still not too sure. I was thinking about this this morning, how it's like, or this week, how it's like a prism. You know, you put in light in one side. You put in a white light in one side and out comes these different colors, rainbow colors. But John and Mary and Peter, they all go through the prism, all through the same experience and they come out with different responses. And I started wondering too about maybe the responses that you have this morning. How are you responding here this moment This morning as we celebrate the fact that the tomb is empty, that Jesus is risen. Maybe some of you are trying to get past, uh, trying to work through the the common part that when people die, it's usually forever, Jason. Like, you know, that's a big deal. You can't just wave that off. Some of you are working through these questions. But here's the thing. If we begin believing that Jesus rose again from the dead. It changes everything. It changes our life. It gives us a new life. A new life where we are forgiven. And, you know, in Christian, in Christianity, we talk about forgiveness a lot. And I don't hear it as much outside the church, the idea of forgiveness and how important it is. I think maybe as Christians, we can take for granted just how powerful it is, or maybe if you've never experienced, it's hard to relate just how powerful it is to realize that no matter what you've done, no matter how much you regret it, or wish you could go back and change it or are ashamed of it, no matter any of those things, through Jesus, we are forgiven. That's a huge weight off of us to be forgiven. 
not only that, but because we are forgiven, that we are actually redeemed. That's what God sent his son in earlier in John's gospel. There's that famous passage of scripture where it said, so God loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. It's through Jesus' death on the cross, taking care of sin, covering over it for us, reconciling us to our Father in heaven. Jesus redeemed us. The redeemed is actually, the word was actually used for buying slaves out of slavery. God has purchased us because he loves us. Not because he had to or needed a bunch of people to follow him, but because he loves us. God dealt with our sin, which separated us from him and redeemed us. In scripture, it talks about adoption. That God adopted us, made us his children. Right now, Tracy and I are still in the process of adopting a child. (laughs) And I can tell that's not something that you do lightly. And it's not something you do begrudgingly. It's because you love the child, even though you don't know them yet. I think about that a lot. (laughs) I think about all the bills we have to pay to do adopt. When I hold that child, it will be worth it. God has adopted us. So he's forgiven us and redeemed us and adopted us. And all this changes the way that we relate to each other, that we are reconciled with one another. What that means is because God has forgiven us, because we're right with God, we can treat other people differently. We can treat our spouse differently. We can treat our kids better. We can love our neighbors (laughs) as hard as they might be to love. We can even love our enemies Because Jesus has forgiven, because God has forgiven us, we can relate to people differently. God has given us this new life in Jesus. And it all begins with here uh, at the resurrection. This is, at least for me and for many Christians, this is the center of faith. I mean, most historians, Christian or not, would agree and affirm, yes, there was a Jesus of Nazareth. And most of them, yes, absolutely, he was crucified. We know that from history. But it's the fact that he rose again, that's the part that's faith. For some people, it feels like the natural step. We hear about an empty tomb, grave linens lying on the ground, angels, and we think, absolutely, I believe. For some people, it's a large leap. I understand that. But this, believing in him, gives us a new life. But not only that, it gives us a new life that's lived better. Because when Jesus rose again, he gave us this hope that death is not the end. It doesn't have to be. That life goes on forever. That even though our bodies die one day, we will rise again. We have this hope that life becomes eternal if, with Jesus. And with this eternal life, it's, you know, sometimes people get the wrong idea that Christianity is, is a religion where you kind of keep your nose clean so that someday when you die, you get the good stuff. That was never Jesus' point. <laughs> Now it's true, when we die, we do get good stuff. We go to heaven, we are with him, and one day he is coming here to make all things new. That's true. But this hope and eternal life works in our lives right now. It means that the moment we believe, our eternal life begins. Already, those of us who've begun following Jesus, we're already living this eternal life. And this new life gives us hope, when things are horrible, when we hear about terminal diseases, 
or losses of people we love. Life eternal gives us hope. And this hope gives us meaning as well. When you realize that life goes on and that God is this, has this grand story of salvation, of growing, of blessing this creation, it brings meaning to the things that we do. That we don't just live and die and try and get as many toys as we can before we kick off. But actually we have more than that. There's more to life than that. That we have meaning. So Jesus gives us this new life, but also this new life lived better. And I was thinking some about that new life lived better because I think a lot of people think about Christianity in terms of legalism. And forgive us, <laughs> the church, if we have ever given you that, impl- or that, um, that idea that following Jesus as a whole is, is mainly a big list of rules of stuff you can't do or fun you can't have. I was thinking about this in my own life. Before I was following Jesus, it's funny, I mean, it's many of you like, pastors, I wasn't born a pastor. Actually, my family didn't even go to church when I was a kid. It wasn't until I was in my 20s that I really began following Jesus. And so I had part of my life in college and university where I was drunk most weekends. I look back at that now, and since I began following Jesus, I have not been drunk. And I look back at that now, and a lot of people think like, oh, being a Christian is all about the stuff you can't do. And I look back at that, and I think, you know, I was a jerk (laughs) when I was drunk. I don't want to be like that anymore. I don't look back at that and say like, oh, if only I could do that again. I think like, praise God, he has given me a new heart, made me a new person. And I don't want to do that stuff anymore. That we get this new life because of what Jesus has done, but he also gives us a new way to live it. Guides for us that help us live better to live better with our spouses, to live better with our kids, live better with our neighbors. You get to be a part of this church family here. And some of you who have become Christians in this last year, you've talked about how great it is to be a part of this church family. And I know, I know we don't always get it right. I know some of you have been a part of this church family a while and you can say, you know, Jason, I know the parts, I can tell you when the church has let me down. And I realize that. Like any family, we make mistakes. But by and large, we love each other. And as a follower of Jesus, you get to be a part of this family, not just this one here in Balfour, but God's family in Nelson, in the Junction, across Canada, around the world, the church. You get, a part to, you get to be a part of this family. You get this new life that's not easy. Because I need to say that because sometimes people equate better with easy. And being a Christian, God, Jesus never promised that it would be easy, but he did promise that it would be better. It would be more full. It would be more rich. I'm thinking about it this morning this event, this amazing event that happened 2,000 years ago when Jesus was crucified and on that first day of the week while it was still dark, his disciple, Mary, the only one left, the church was down to one person, barely, came and found that the tomb was empty. And then we see how people have different reactions to this. Some people see it and they believe. Some people see it and they really need to be convinced like Jesus needs to talk to them. And some people come away and they're still uncertain. But I can tell you this from my own experience and from the, many, from the experiences that many of you have shared with me that when we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it gives us a whole new life. 
And not just a whole new life that you hope you try and figure out and it doesn't matter until you die, but actually a whole new life that begins the moment you believe. A whole new life that's lived better. That we begin following him. This is the good news this morning. Jesus is not dead. He is risen. For those of you who've been following him for years, be encouraged. (laughs) Keep following him. For those of you who have questions, I would love to talk with you. I'd love to pray with you. If you want to ask me, Jesus, or Jason, how does this work? Or, you know, how does this make sense? Talk with me. I'd love to hear your questions and talk with you. I'm here this morning, (laughs) and I am excited because I believe God has good news for us. Jesus is not dead. He is risen. Jesus is not dead. He is risen. Amen.